Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman David Campbell. Joining me today are your MEC Chairman Will McQuillan, your Negotiating Committee Chairman Chris Gruner, and your Scheduling Committee Chairman Scott Rubin. By now, I'm sure all of our pilots have seen ALPA's term sheet that was published last week and hopefully had time to read the Negotiating Committee's update. That's pretty much what we'll be talking about on today's podcast. And Will, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Yeah, thank you very much, David. I think that it's important to have this discussion just simply because this is kind of a unique thing, at least in the history of Alaska Airlines, to put our term sheet out and that comprehensive agreement out before the pilots and in the spirit of transparency and uh, to have a discussion on a couple of key things that have been highlighted since we did put that out, areas of uh, concern or confusion. And I'm very grateful that we've got the opportunity to have the conversation, as well as the fact that both Chris and Scott could join us because they've spent so much time extensively looking through all of the, the minutia that goes into the proposal overall and how it solves pilot problems. Will, you just brought something up that I'd like to focus on for a minute, which is that that idea of problem solving. And I think that that's an important element to the way we've addressed this round of negotiations, right? Yes, exactly. We've heard loud and clear from the pilots and identified carriers of concern, obviously some of them in scheduling, that's why Scott Rubin's here, and then overarchingly in other areas of the contract, that there are things that are unique to the needs of this pilot group, unique to our contract, that do need to be addressed. And it's basically problem solving, right? And that's why I'm deeply appreciative of the fact that we get to have this conversation today and kind of explain or highlight how it is that some of the elements of our proposal do exactly that. Yeah, and I think, Will, to that point, too, just want to reemphasize to everybody that this isn't a meet-in-the-middle negotiation. It's a problem-solving negotiation. So when we put our proposals forward, those are addressed to uh, specific concerns, and they're intended to solve for specific problems. And if you water them down, it doesn't take care of the issues that all of you have identified. So again, if we're just looking at each issue on its face and then just trying to meet in the middle, at the end of the day, you're not going to have anything better than what you have now. So we took, again, a, a very intentional look at other contracts to find ways that other people have solved problems that you've identified and then are working to uh, make sure that we're addressing those issues in a, a way that we can have confidence in moving forward. Yeah, and Chris, you know, I think a good example of how this method works is what occurred in the REIL negotiations. You know, that was a specific problem that you didn't approach that from a low end and a high end and work towards some solution uh, or some compromise. You, you had a problem that needed to be resolved. And so both sides got together and, and solved the problem. That's a perfect example. And to that end, you know, Southwest had something like what we ended up with, but um, we took their model and then we made some adjustments that were unique to us. But it wasn't a, uh, you know, a, a give and take. The company didn't say, hey, we're, we're down here. Why don't you come meet us here? It was, oh, no, we've got this specific issue right on returning pilots to service in particular with the REILs that we needed to have addressed. And we were able to work constructively through that. Well, Chris, I, I think it's fair to say that the term sheet is a step in that attempt to solve the problem. So talk about that. Why release a term sheet in the way that, that we did? Yeah, I know that's fairly unique here at the history of Alaska Airlines anyway, as Will, you mentioned. But, um, you know, and there's a reason sometimes to keep 
negotiations a little quieter, you know, on the specifics, provided that pilots again and or whoever you're negotiating for have confidence that we're all working to achieve the same goals. So if both parties are being productive, both parties are committed to actually achieving end game that accomplishes those goals, then sometimes a little bit of latitude on how you solve those problems behind the scenes isn't always a bad thing. However, you know, we've had uh, a history here at Alaska Airlines that hasn't shown uh, or given us confidence that that would be constructive this time around. So one example is the company's use of working papers again in the past. So, right. uh, Will, I know yeah. you're, you're pretty confident or uh, familiar with this. Yes, exactly. In our history, they've always had, you know, working documents and protocol type of agreements that constrain what could be communicated to the pilots. And I think that this MEC has been so committed to transparency in this regard. So it is kind of a unique way of uh you know, negotiating this time around. And it does carry with it both risk and reward. But in, in the spirit of making sure that we're hitting the mark with the pilots, I think it's important. Yeah. And, you know, in the past, those working papers had been used to have constructive conversations. The problem was more recently, they weren't advancing the negotiation to where they needed to go uh, from our perspective. So to the extent that, you know, we're not seeing those contribute to forward progress, then, you know, that's not going to help us. And so there was really a commitment from the beginning to transparency to make sure that everybody had confidence in what everybody was doing here moving forward. So that's that's one of the issues. And then I think the other reason here is when we're looking at scope and scheduling in general, they just uh, haven't seen constructive uh, engagement on those issues from the company in really a long time. So, uh, Again, it goes back to that transparency piece and giving you, the pilots, confidence that we're moving in the right direction. We're giving you the ability to talk to your reps and keep us on track with what your priorities are. Because the bottom line is we've fallen very far behind on these issues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, we've had opportunities to fix them. If you guys remember back with the JCBA negotiations uh, during the merger, the scope and scheduling issues were front of mind for pilots then. And there were protocols in place to move those along so scope was part of the arbitration process scheduling we pulled out so that we could have constructive conversations without it being subject to another arbitration because there's still leftover vestiges from casher right 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 and there's a lot of risk about taking something as critical as your scheduling and work rules and quality of life and placing them in the hands of an arbitration panel yeah, so that the, was the reason we set that aside. The right. MEC did obviously absolutely so the vision there was to pull those outside and still have a full comprehensive, meaningful scheduling negotiation. And frankly, that didn't happen. And we're still seeing a lack of engagement on scheduling issues that were even agreed to, where we are still waiting for a third step to be implemented, which was the one probably uh, somewhat bright piece out of those negotiations. Right. And th that is kind of one of those frustrations. When I talk to a lot of pilots who haven't been here that long, is explaining the, the, the reality that a lot of what we're seeking is a decade old right? When you get right down to it, nearly a decade. But we're basically a decade into this seeking the, the improvements that have moved forward at other carriers. Right. And again, it's not like, you know, the, what we're hearing from you is we want to be like everyone else. It's, hey, these are serious problems for us and everyone else has worked to solve them. And so why aren't we there? And that's, again, what we're focused on and what we're moving towards. And it's going to take a commitment from the company to really engage and to focus on structural change to both scope and work rules in order to get us to where we need to go. And I'll just real quick also, uh, David, just want to point out um, when we're looking at these things, um, the term sheet, just 
for clarity is just a set of bullet points. So there's a lot of work behind the scenes on each of those, but they just capture concepts. And again, that's not the full language or anything along those lines that we're moving to. The right. Campaign. This was a big enough document as it was without <laughs> without putting full language on the on the table. Right. So, you know, once the company's ready to commit, you know, there's still work to be done to build those out and make sure they uh, they capture uh, what we're trying to do. Chris, by more work, do you mean that there's more work that has been done that pilots didn't see on the term sheet or that you first you're looking for agreement and then and then we'll do the work to flesh out what the language will look like? Well, both. And so, uh, yes, we've done all the work to present full proposals to the company that reflect these concepts that we have on the term sheet. But now through negotiations, right, we need to working through the details usually takes time, especially on complex issues. So to the extent the company's serious about getting this done, we need to really focus on these particular issues, see a commitment from them to do so and to get it to the end, because again, it will take time. Good. And I think you made the point well, but again, I think it's worth repeating that these collectively are solutions to the problems that have been identified by the pilots. Yeah, uh, correct. So again, we'll we'll get into that here now as we move forward and just talk broadly about the uh, overarching concepts. And I think when we uh, go through this podcast today, there's a lot of pieces in here that are very important to you. So I want to make sure that we're not minimizing anything on here, but what we're going to focus on are the pieces that require the most work to get to the end. So um, the more complicated issues. And so we'll take a few minutes and I think just kind of frame those and, um, you know, the work we've done to get to this point. Chris, you mentioned that in this podcast, we wanted to talk about the issues that were the most complicated. So what did you mean by that? What are those in, in your opinion? Yeah, so it's the same ones that we outlined in the uh, com where we introduced the term sheet. So we'll start today by going over uh, job security and scope, and then we'll get into flexibility, which includes the ability to get more days off. And then from there, we'll get into the reserve system a bit, just give you guys some uh, context of how we're viewing each of those sections and um, how they work together in what we put forward on the term sheet. All right, well, let's start with scope. Yeah, so I think that it's important when we're looking at this that everybody understands the mandate that we understand that we have from the pilots. And that's that this isn't just a set of numbers or like a little piece of another contract that we get put in here. But what pilots really are looking for is confidence that they're going to be part of the future success of this company. They don't want to be left behind. They don't want to be whipsawed. They don't want other pilots taking flying from them that they expect to be doing, just like other airlines know that they're going to have the flying that their company is doing. So those are, I think, broad concepts are important to understand when we're working through the rest of these specifics. Yeah, exactly. We've said it many, many times that we're not here in some way to harm the company. We want the company to grow. We want the company to be successful. We just want to be a participant in that growth. Right. And so when we're looking at these scope proposals, they dovetail right in with what the company is doing today. So, you know, there is frustration, to be frank, with a lack of scope protection and seeing what the company has done in the past. So when the arbitrator from the JCBA says, well, we don't need to provide scope protection because the company is voluntarily complying with seats and weights. And then immediately after that, they no longer comply with industry standard weights. Immediately. Immediately after. Then I think the impetus and the necessity of this is increased. And even if, you know, whatever you think on 86 or 89,000 pounds, it's really the principle that's important here. 
Right. And obviously the issue that we try to address also, the elephant in the room, is that of the pilot's trust. You just said that. That it's one thing, and we've seen it in company comms repeatedly throughout this process, that somehow they're going to voluntarily comply with those same restrictions and provide those same protections. And I can tell you overwhelmingly that the pilots absolutely do not believe that. And if that's so, if they truly do believe that they're going to comply with that voluntarily, then what's the harm in putting it in print? Yeah, and so get into some of the structure that I think is important. One of the most important pieces is this the promise of what flying that you are going to be doing, that we are going to be doing. So in our contract, there's a specific airplanes that are designated as ones that we are going to be flying. Whereas if you look at other contracts, they will say you mainline seniority list pilot group will be doing all of the flying period dot with in some contracts, these exceptions, but not all of them. Right? So there's some like JetBlue, spirit frontier, which are having no problems growing by the way which do all of the flying. There's no regional feed allowed by another carrier. And then, you know, you have the other ones, you know, United Delta American, which have the 76 seats and 86,000 pound limitation. So when you look at why that number and not something else, it's a level playing field. So flying above that, you know, is a line that has been designated across the industry to make sure that your flying is valued appropriately and that you are doing the work that you're expecting to do when you get hired by that company. Yep, good point. So when we're looking at seats and weights, that's that piece. And then the other one is ratios. And again, that's just to make sure that the company has to make decisions that maintain that those regional planes has been a, a value added feeder into our system. So Right. They've they've identified clearly that they have a need and we've simply said, okay, well we can recognize that, but there needs to be limitations. Right. And unlike other contracts where they put a hard limit on the number of small aircraft, right, we allow those small aircraft to grow with the growth of our main line and they don't have to come back and renegotiate it by, uh, uh, you know, implementing a ratio. Yeah. Back to that core argument that as the airline grows and is successful, they have the flexibility to grow within their business model. Right. Yeah. And that goes right into code share. So I think that's a good segue. <laughs> Perfect. Because yes. as long as the code shares are making a system contribution to the mainline pilots right into the growth of this core piece of the company, we are more than happy to allow code sharing. We see it as something that can be beneficial, but to the extent that it's not, then we want to make sure they're investing in the pilots. Chris, I know another issue you're working on is merger protection. Right. And that kind of goes, we've made this uh, analogy before, but you know, uh, I think it was what WestJet that started Swoop Air, you know, and created a whole nother 737 airline underneath the same main company. So it's just making sure that something like that doesn't happen. Again, the flying underneath Alaska Air Group, right, is all subject to the same set of, uh, the same contract that they negotiated with us in good faith. And it's just carrying that forward. So to that extent, I mean, there's different ways to achieve that. Either, you know, you force a merger or if uh, you do have another airline that comes under the banner of Alaska Air Group, that you just make sure that the growth is the same on both of those, that you're not growing one at the expense of the other. So that's really kind of the core concepts that we're looking at with that is really just to make sure again, that uh, your growth, your careers are protected moving forward. And then the last couple pieces here, we've talked through these and these are uh, equally important, but just making sure that 
a crew complement includes two pilots, and that's an important safety aspect found in other airline contracts. So it's right. something that we just want to make sure we're codifying there. Well, and I mean, can I just put a pause in this and how yeah. shocking it is that this is even a bone of contention right. at the table? Yeah. Why I, is I, that a friction point? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, 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 yeah, I mean, that should be so basic. Yes, we want two pilots in the cockpit in all of the airplanes. There are so many reasons why that's important. And, and there are plenty of real world examples where having a second pilot has made a really big difference. So I, I'm, I, I, it's just shocking to me that, that they wouldn't just say, yeah, that's, we're not, don't even need to talk about that. Of course we'd say yes to two pilots. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, um, yeah. And other than that, we've got, you know, a few other provisions looking at information sharing, you know, other issues like that, that are definitely important as well and make sure that we work through those issues. But really the idea is to build out a scope, a job security section that gives you confidence, right? When you, whether you're towards the end of your career or you're starting out that you're going to end that career here as part of a strong company. We're not looking for something that other management groups haven't agreed to with their pilots. This is a, a similar thing. And especially right now, when we're looking to attract pilots here, you know, you want to make sure that they're going somewhere where they know that they're going to have a, a long career and somewhere that they actually want to apply to. And really, that's what a lot of this is about, you know, making sure that you have a long career here for the people that are here and to make sure that we can continue making this a healthy airline by continuing to uh, attract and retain uh, pilots. It's simple. It's parity with our peers and parity with the industry. Yeah. Right. Chris, another topic that is really important to pilots and also complicated, like you said, is everything that falls into scheduling. So um, let's go into that topic next. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about flexibility first then get into the reserve system. I think two of the biggest issues are the ones we hear most, most often from pilots. But regarding flexibility, we hear over and over again about how frustrated pilots are with their inability to manage their schedules, to be able to move days around. And that includes the ability to choose more days off if there's somebody available who wants to fly more. So, you know, working through all of these issues are pretty complicated. So I don't know, Scott, you've thought a lot about this. This would kick it over to you and maybe you can open this up here with the kind of how we put this together. Yeah. So obviously, you know, section 25 of our contract touches a lot of things and they, and they intertwine. So you got to look at the total package. There's not one silver bullet that fixes everything. For example, getting a wider credit window. You know, we're at the bottom at 70 hours and the top at the FAR 117 max. That's going to give our pilots a lot more room to maneuver and dropping a trip and having the bottom be 70 or pick up additional flying. So widening the credit window is super important to improving our flexibility. Controlling open time appropriately. You know, we've talked a lot about that and, and with the company and, and explained, you know, our vision of how that works, where open time stays in open time and handled properly until, so a bid block holder can trade into it, pick it up, whatever, until the assignment window for the next day for the reserves. And just, I just want to stop you right there real quick, because again, that's something that is consistent with how other airlines handle their open time. So ours, uh, I think, is more uh, creative with how they combine trips while it's sitting in open time, which makes it harder to pick up with how they utilize their reassignment language. And they do it two weeks out instead of what was originally intended in negotiations in 2013, which was to only use it as a last resort if you couldn't put a reserve on it. 
And I mean, even go down to Southwest, which the company heralds often for having incredible productivity, but they have windows throughout the day where they're assigning open time to bid block holders who bid it. So again, there's very, just because you have a specific system that's working to um, control how that stuff works, it doesn't mean that the company can't have, you know, the ability to operationally um, run their company in the way that they want to, right? It's just about getting a process that works for both of us. And right now we're not there. Yeah. And having a process that's transparent and predictable so that a cruise scheduler or a pilot, when they're looking at the open time and the reserves available, can come to the same conclusion of who, who's, who would get the trip. Right. And that moves on, I think, to the, the trading rules, right? So enhanced trading tools, too, that will help out a lot, which grease the skids for pilots to trade, like uh, worst day, bad day, worst day that other airlines have in their contract. Just make common sense. I mean, why not be able to pick up a trip out of open time and put one back into open time when the day you're picking up, it, they have zero reserve coverage instead of denying the whole thing and, and making both days bad. Right. So there's things like that. And then, right, increasing the transparency on the rules that we have to, again, give certainty. And it also gives accountability to make sure that those trades are being handled properly. And again, I'm not inferring that the company is doing anything behind the scenes, but it, again, it gives pilots confidence that when they submit a trade that it is being handled properly and then again that that has other effects other than just having a, a better schedule it also just increases morale and things along those lines which i think are really important absolutely i agree with you scott can you just define what, what you mean when you say bad day worst day well let's look at our system in trading where we're have to have a certain amount of required reserves before a trade goes through if with bad day worst day let's say I want to trade a trip on Monday, Tuesday for a trip on Wednesday, Thursday. And on Wednesday, Thursday, the reserve coverage is way worse, poorer than it is on Monday, Tuesday when I'm dropping this other trip into open time. It makes sense and is doable for them to process that trade so that I'm helping them out on the worst day of their reserve coverage and I'm still having pilot flexibility and be able to uh, change my schedule. And other carriers handle it in different ways and they have color codes and all that stuff. But to boil it down, that's the simplistic way. If I'm, if I'm making a, a day that is poor reserve coverage better by removing open time from it, then let's process the trade. And currently the problem is none of them go through because it's below the adequate reserve. On both days, so yeah. it just denies the trade. And mm -hmm. they don't get the, the, the trip doesn't come out at open time and I can't have the flexibility because mm -hmm. of the current system. And I think it's important to point out that's one of several things that we've looked at to just try to uh, open up and improve the trading opportunities for pilots. So, I mean, there's different ways to uh, attack these problems and that's one that makes sense to us. And there's other things that make sense that it, it really, it's just about sitting down and working through these carefully and, and finding uh, solutions that work for both of us. I mean, trading doesn't impact the company negatively, uh, you know, because there has to be reserve coverage for it to go through. So let's figure out how to make sure that, you know, more stuff is able to move around for pilots. So they're flying what they want. Yeah. And, and just a couple of little adjustments to our MOUs 1404, 1405, which is day for different day and same day trades. Those work around the arc. So when 
you put in a trade and adequate reserve coverage isn't there, it looks at the MOU and says, can I process the trade? If we widen up those parameters of the MOU, it would process more trades. So yeah. that's another pretty simplistic and commonsensical way to approach uh, improving trades. Right. So if it hits the parameters of the MOU, it's automatically going through no matter what. Right. And so, yeah, the more parameters you have that are just automatically go through no matter what at that point, or again, that's more opportunities for you to be able to manage your schedule. Exactly. Uh, and maybe pivot a little bit here, but if pilots have an incentive to pick up open time, it takes pressure off pilots because they're not having to cover so much. And average daily guarantee is one way to kind of help that. Yeah. And there's two things we put in the contract proposal that address that specifically. So one is applying 125% premium to all open time or any flying you do over 80 hours. So that incentivizes pilots to fly to the high end of the window. And then the second one is the average daily guarantee, if you wanted to talk about that a bit, Scott. Sure. You know, in general, the average daily guarantee is designed in what we need it for uh, to fix our pairings is those three-day trips. There are three calendar day trip that pay like a two-day trip. So you're gone three calendar days and it pays you 12 hours, for example. With an average daily guarantee, that day where you don't have duty, you're going to capture another five hours and 30 minutes off our proposal. And that 12 hour trip is now going to pay, you know, 1630. And with that, it's more attractive for people to pick up out of open time and more attractive for people to, to uh, keep, you know, those trips in, in general are pretty commutable. They start late and end early, but they're not attractive to a commuter because they don't bring enough credit to make their commute worth their time. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, we looked at an average daily guarantee like other carriers done have done. You know, they uh, uh, United, uh, Delta, uh, Southwest, American, all of them have an average daily guarantee because that's what they wanted to go after. And it's because of that commutability piece and also the churns to some extent. Right. Because when you put pairings through the optimizer, it's going to build away from the soft time. So when you have a rig like this, it's designed to build pairings a certain way. And what we don't want to have happen is to now make our pairings worse by applying a rig that ends up uh, ruining quality of life. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. You can ask for too much of a good thing. And first I'll say too, that we're going to keep all the other rigs that we have. And then this is an additional rig to protect that calendar day. And like you said, the neighborhood we live in, you know, with Delta, American, Southwest, United, all having an average daily guarantee. It's easy to point to and say, we deserve that too, right? I will say to your point of optimization, the optimizer's one goal in life is to get rid of soft time. Like you said, it's going to take a a four day trip and add a nice turn on the end of it. That would be a standalone turn to get rid of that soft time. When it does that, it removes the commutability for the four day trip and removes the turn for the local guy. So you have to be careful on how you do this. If you have the number, the value too high or do a min calendar day, you can really see a socialization of the pairings. Meaning if with your average daily guarantee, a four day trip is going to pay 22 hours, for example, you're going to see all the four day trips pay 22 and looping this out on the four day trips that paid 26, 27, because it's going to pull that turn off that one to get 
rid of or a leg segment off one trip to put it on another so that it doesn't pay any soft time. So you don't want to lose the high potency, high credit trips. You want to bring up the low credit ones. And we're trying to do both. And that's the average daily guarantee. And that's why the other carriers do it. And selecting the correct value is also important. Yeah, and Scott, for our listeners who may not be pilots, can you define soft time? Yeah, for those that don't know what soft time is or, or trip rig, as we call it. When you are guaranteed um, a certain value, so let's just say you're guaranteed five hours a day and you do a three-day trip, it's going to pay you 15 hours. If you fly a trip that only has 12 hours of actual flying the jet block time, that extra three hours is monies that the company is going to pay the pilot that they would pilot wasn't actually moving an airplane. They were just protected by this rig insurance policy and the company and the optimizer strives not to pay for that soft time where a pilot's not actually blocking or flying the airplane. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thanks Scott. And I think for our listeners who, as I said, aren't pilots, it may be worth a little bit of context that one of the reasons that these sorts of protections are important to us is that on any given day of work, there's lots of time that we are in the process of doing our job without doing something that we're actually getting paid for. So, you know, that could be, you know, we land and it's like two hours before our next flight. And so we're waiting around doing that. Of course, all the time doing a pre-flight inspection and checking the weather, all that, that that's not a billable hour, so to speak. So we have these protections so that just like you say, we don't end up working a three-day trip where we're away from home, away from our families. We can't do anything else effectively because we're at the airport or we're stuck in a hotel somewhere. And that that time, those days that we're away are valuable. And we want to make sure that we're compensated for being away, essentially. I mean, is that a fair way to describe it, do you think? Yeah, that sounds good. And I think it just goes to the uh, broader point here, too. You know, it. I, we're trying to address exactly what you're talking about there. And again, that's how a, a lot of other people in the industry have determined that you can do that, but do it in a way that doesn't break other pieces of the contract. And that's really the difficulty when you work through a lot of these things. It's, uh, you know, all these things do work together. And that kind of leads into, I think, uh, PBS a bit too. Yeah, before we lead into that, uh, one more point on average daily guarantee I I want to make. You know, you brought up the point of our time is valuable away from home and there's a lot of dead time that we're not getting paid for. You know, we get paid from the time we push till the time we chalk back in at the gate and all that other time in between. But if we have something on our trip or we get reassigned and takes us, you know, we're going to be gone Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And on Wednesday evening, we have a mechanical issue or a weather issue or a reassignment that's not going to get us home till Thursday. We're going to lose a day off. That's time with our family. And without this average daily guarantee, you, you don't capture a full day's worth of pay and you just lose the day off. So with average daily guarantee in that situation where you were going to be home Wednesday and now you get home Thursday instead, you're still going to capture that five hours and 30 minutes for that added day you were at work. And that's something we've been uh, lacking for a long time. Yeah, I think that's important. And just maybe to belabor the point a little bit more, 
any professional career has time that you're you're doing work that you aren't getting paid for, you know, a billable hour, so to speak. But and so we expect that there are, that that exists. What we're trying to do is create a, a balance that's fair to the pilots and, and reasonable to the company. Right. So they're using our time efficiently. Right. I think right. is the big picture on a lot of that. And and so uh, yeah, again, you know that that's all designed to make sure that we are. Uh, addressing these concerns and taking care of them in a way that uh, moves things in the direction that helps the pilots, but at the same time doesn't break, you know, other aspects. And, you know, you did a great job explaining that. Thanks, Scott. Another question we've heard a lot about is um, just PBS, and it is a complicated system. So pilots are just, I think, concerned that, you know, they want to make sure that they have a full set of rules to vote on and they understand what it is that they're actually voting on when it gets to that point. And so I just wanted to reassure everybody that, um, you know, I know a lot of people here have been at regional airlines where maybe they've had PBS imposed where it's been detrimental instead of value added. You know, we've uh, looked at these systems, talked to a lot of other airlines and uh, if it's done well and the rules are solid, you can have a mutually beneficial PBS system and it can have a lot of value added for flexibility uh, for pilots. Um, so we are committed to, uh, as we're exploring this, to see if it's a viable option. Um, if it comes your way, it's going to be a full set of rules. It's going to be comprehensive, and it's not going to be cutting any corners. And so there won't be any surprises during implementation for you uh, if it's something that you guys decide uh, that makes sense when you vote. Yeah, and I'll just uh, double down on that a little bit, Chris. You know, we have a, put together a PBS working group, and, and these pilot volunteers have ran PBS systems at their previous jobs, and they're doing an incredible job of really digging into this subject and finding what we need to protect our pilots so the system works for us. And we're talking hours and hours and hours of work, right? It's been impressive to see the work ethic they've had and their expertise and growing expertise and their willingness not only to learn from other carriers what's successful, but to learn from their mistakes. And um, that, that's super important, both to the line pilots and the MEC. If we're gonna do a PBS system, it works for our pilots and has a rule set that protects our pilots. Yeah, and so along those lines, you know, something else I've heard is, well, if we're looking potentially at PBS, does third step keep us from getting there or is that an impediment? So I just wanna also reassure everybody that third steps actually, sh it should be online pretty soon. Is that right, Scott? Yeah, you know, uh, there's a lot of things I could talk about, how the delays in the of third step, but let's just talk about when it's coming. Okay. We should have it in our possession, and when I say our possession, on the Alaska property for testing late this spring. The goal is to have it li live to where we can actually use it this summer in August is, the, is what they're anticipating right now. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know what third step is, whether you're new to the company or you haven't thought about it in a while, we have, uh, after you get a line award, we have our first round of trading, which is first step. And that's seniority based. You bid on trips. And if your seniority holds them, it allows you to trade or pick up trips based off your seniority. We do that twice, first step, second step. Third step is gonna be non-seniority based. It's gonna be a first come, first serve trading opportunity where you won't have to trade against ARC, only the same rules of a closed day that occur in first and second step. 
but it's live. So if somebody trades a trip and drops a trip into this open time pile, you're able to trade out of it and somebody's able to trade into the trip that you had. And we think this is going to be very beneficial and improve our flexibility in, in the short term. But even if we do go to a PBS system, it takes a while for one, the vendor to program all our rule set and get it up and running and two, to train the pilot group on how to use it. And so implementation to a PBS, once the pilot group, if the pilot group ratified that system, you know, you're talking 18 months to two years before it goes live. In the meantime, we will, we want third step to be part of our life so that we have some flexibility in that transition between the two systems. Yeah. So just wanted to clarify that on the term sheet, when we talk about a uh, third step, it's really just that expectation that it will be implemented and in place still as soon as possible and continue on that timeline, you know, and then we'll just see what our, uh, you know, what, whatever we negotiate after that, it doesn't impede us from still looking at PBS or anything else along those lines. Chris, another thing that I think obviously needs to be worked on is the reserve system. Uh, yeah, David. So the reserve quality of life is something we hear all the time. I think at every coffee that I've been at, somebody has brought it up and just how they're being wrung dry uh, through the system that we have right now. So there's a lot of pieces to this. I'm just going to separate it into two broad areas. So one is just, again, that flexibility that you're given to bid block holders and the ability to uh, have them pick up open time and more of it, and then also incentivizing them to do so, that's going to take some of that burden off of the reserves to begin with. So that's one piece of it. And then the second piece is putting appropriate parameters around the work that you're obligated to do, because um, clearly we have uh, less days off and more work uh, for our reserves than uh, other airlines do. And it's starting to show. I mean, Scott, you guys hear it all the time, right? At the fatigue calls and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a system that we need to address and, and put some fixes in because without the contract language, the company's not going to change their ways. You know, they're, they're going to keep overutilizing our reserve guys. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we talked about the open time piece already. So I'll just get into the parameters on the reserve system itself and how we will get putting these things together. So one is just um, protecting the days off and getting more of them. So when you look at the 17 duty days that we proposed, um, the only pilot group that has uh, more days off is Southwest. So one of the reasons they're able to get away with that is because they can sign their bid block holders past their last day. And that's something that we understood wasn't acceptable to this pilot group, that bid block holder integrity is an important component. So we're trying to balance those issues out. But at the same time, you know, recognize the work that our reserve pilots do relative to others. So that's how we landed where we did. But on top of that, we also have other tools that provide more time off for uh, pilots to help out with that. So one of those things is if you hit your guarantee for the month, then the company either has to pay you for each additional day or they have to you know, let you off for the rest of the month. And so that should help out a bit and help mitigate the work that uh, you're having to do. Yeah, let's go through that. Just yeah. We talk about it all the time, and I don't know if uh, – it's worth repeating what, what really that system's doing, right? Okay. So if they fly you so much on reserve that you hit your guarantee, the option is to keep you on reserve and pay you over the guarantee for those extra days, or to say, okay, we're done with you for the month and give you extra days off. 
aside from what you had coming initially. So it's either going to pay you more or you're going to get more time off if you hit guarantee. Yeah. Scott, do you mean even if they don't call you, if you sit a reserve day, you get paid more? Correct. If you've, if you've hit your, your block guarantee? Yeah, if they flew you and that was worth more, the, the flying was more than the, the extra day of sitting reserve, you're going to get the higher of the two. But yes, mm-hmm. to answer your question. Yeah. Yeah, so that's one piece. And the other one is just putting stronger bookends around the language that we have. So no no flying into a day off at all. Whereas right now the company can fly you into, you know, a 48 hour period or something along those lines. But just putting a stop to that to make sure that when you have a day off, you can actually plan on having that day off. So those are those are a couple pieces that are in addition to just the pure days off. Also just want to talk a little bit about uh, you know, the looking at getting a duty day or a calendar day. Because when we're looking at a wackle system, uh, you know, when we're doing a lot of flying in the evenings, there's that overlap into the next day that you're looking at. And there's ways to handle that, but it just creates a different reserve system. And again, it's just about balancing priorities. So, you know, right now, if you wanted to get a calendar day off, you know, in the system we're proposing, you, you can bid into it still. So you can either bid long call, you know, or you can bid a wrap that fits into a calendar day. And, you know, and there are pilots that have told us they like to bid the wackle wraps and then have that certainty through the month that that's where they're going to be. Um, so those are some things that we're taking into consideration, you know, and if we're going to do just a pure calendar day off, then you have to start making some other decisions. You know, do we want everybody to be long call, for example, because now you can move those days around appropriately and, uh, and make it work. And then, you know, have them just be assignable to short call. The other option is to have the, uh, ability for the company to move your wraps around pretty significantly, right? So they can fit that wackle wrap inside of, uh, inside of the calendar day system. And so at that point, um, it becomes a, not an impossible problem to solve, but a more difficult one to make sure that we have the transparency and other things that are required. And we took a hard look at a system like that. And uh, at the end of the day on balance, you know, this is where we landed. Yeah. And uh, this, you know, you mentioned, a short call pilot liking to know that they're going to be in the same wrap all month, whether you mentioned the late wraps, but an early morning wrap too, for example. And they like that security of knowing, or at least the consistency of knowing this is my wrap for the month. These other systems that you talked about where you're long, everybody's long call and then you're converted to short call that inconsistency that comes with that system wasn't appealing to a lot of, a lot of people. Uh, our, our pilots, at least, they wanted to know I'm going to be on long call and they wanted to know this is my wrap for the month. So then how do we make that system better? Yeah. So uh, again, it's just working through the, the big picture issues that we're looking for and then working towards something that uh, you know balances priorities across the uh, pilot group. So that's one piece. And then when you're looking at just the actual days that you're on, it's also important to propose shorter wraps. And I remember, you know, I, I live relatively close to the airport and with a 14 hour wrap, you know, it's hard to even go for a run or something like that. Like, you know, do anything to kind of just clear my head. So I'm ready to, you know, rest it and everything going into work. So again, shortening that wrap, you know, you're still available to go fly. It just shortens that contactability period. So that way you can, you know, uh, reduce fatigue, you know, kind of, uh, balance your life around your obligation to the company some more. So. Those are the big pieces of the reserve system we're looking at. Obviously, there's more to it. But. Yeah, there's more to Just one other thing is yeah. increasing the amount of long call. Oh, right? yeah. You know, we've had a lot of feedback that the pilot group wanted more long call. 
So that's in our proposal to, to get 30% of the reserve schedules is long call. Right. And longer call outs. And it, yes. And increase the call out as well. So, yeah. So there's, there's other pieces there, just looking at some of these foundational components, you know, and uh, just w- walking through those a bit. So, yeah, I guess the big picture on these uh, scheduling pieces is, um, you know, we, we focused a lot on uh, flexibility, on um, providing more time off for uh, pilots, and then taking a look at the reserve quality of the life. So, you know, as we go through these different things, you know, the pilots broadly share those same concerns. And now there's different perspectives on how to handle those and how to address those. And so working through those in a way that balances the priorities and the concerns of the entire pilot group, I think are important. And that's something that we've really uh, strived to do on this. So just wanted to take a few minutes today and work through that and, you know, how we worked with our reps to uh, make sure that we uh, created or proposed a system that, that achieves that. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. And I'll, I'll pitch it back to Will in a minute to close it out. But before we do, I, I want to reiterate something that I've brought up on a couple of these podcasts already, but I think it bears repeating. And, and again, for context, I got a package in the mail yesterday, a padded envelope from Alpa National. I wasn't quite sure what it was. And I opened it up to find my 25-year Alpa pin. And I only bring that up to say I've, I've seen a lot of these cycles go through. And what is uncanny is whether the economy is good or bad, whether things are, are positive for pilots or bad for pilots. Management finds a reason to be unwilling to make improvements to the contract. And so they have this ready-made solution in, in any context. And a common one is the, the altar of growth, right? That these, whatever you guys are wanting, whatever you're trying to gain in the contract is not going to keep us from making the, uh, getting our business model going. We're not going to be able to grow and growth is what you really need. Um, that's the way to make your career secure, et cetera, et cetera. So now that we're getting closer to some kind of end game, I, I don't be surprised if that kind of rhetoric comes out more yeah and i think it just goes right back to what we said from the beginning you know i encouraged everybody when we started this to write down what your goals and priorities were right and then when this is over go back and take a look at those and see if the contract that we present to you is in line with what your expectations were at the beginning and um, that's what we're working to achieve and um, you know that holds true still yeah absolutely Thanks, Chris. Thanks, thanks all of you for coming in here. And well, we've dived a little deeper into a number of these important topics. And as we we bring it to a close, Will, is there any way you'd like to summarize this, bring it together, or have a, a final message for the pilots? Yeah, sure, David. I think um, we we've done a I hope a good job of kind of summarizing a lot of the key areas of concern. But I would start by saying that I just want to say again how much I appreciate the feedback. This MEC appreciates the feedback that it's gotten from the pilots. It's been overwhelmingly positive and supportive, you know, but it did highlight a few areas that we needed to offer clarity on. And and I do hope that today's discussion achieved that. Um, It's important to have the conversations. And as I say, important for pilots to keep having conversations with each other and with their reps. And the other thing I want to stress is that this MEC, we've said it many times today, is very committed to transparency as as evidenced by the decision to put this comprehensive term sheet out to the pilots. There's always risk when you do things like this, but we're confident in doing this 
because we've heard loud and clear from our pilots, especially when it comes to their priorities and the problems they want solved. The conversations are important to explain how these things solve these problems, as we started out by saying today. And uh, I guess the only other thing that I would stress is that I've heard some feedback from pilots concerned that somehow, you know, looking at the company proposal and then looking at ours, uh, we said it kind of earlier, but that there'll be some kind of a splitting of the baby. And I want to make something very clear. The, the company proposal is simply that. It's their vision of reality, and it has absolutely nothing to do with our vision of what the pilot's needs are. It doesn't meet expectations. It falls short, and there's very little constructive work to be done by comparing one against the other. What's relevant is what the pilots need and the problems that need to be solved. And I guess the other thing that I hear every now and then is confusion again between mediation and arbitration, and just a, a reminder that the mediator is only there to help the two teams and can't force or compel either party. This is not arbitration. So when people express concerns about splitting the baby, that is not the, the issue that we have here, right? It's about pilot expectations, pilot needs, problems that need to be solved. And as we look forward, you know, despite the frustration, which I absolutely know is high, there's, as we say many times, there's no reason we should be here three years later. There just isn't. But as we look forward, I want the pilot group to recognize that what matters is the calendar ahead. It's the most important thing that we have and less so that calendar behind us. Stay focused, stay engaged, and be prepared for the future in the event that we aren't able to constructively problem solve and that we are released. We have to start thinking ahead. And now more than ever, especially as we look ahead and towards April 1st, unity counts and focus counts. Pilots need to be engaged, they need to be focused, and they need to be talking to one another and stay unified because that's what's gotten us as far as we've gotten through the number of years. I would say, of course, that I appreciate the solidarity and the support that we've seen throughout this entire process. And, you know, a huge thank you to the pilots for that support. You know, as we know, April 1st is a chance to demonstrate that sol the solidarity is important and how important it is because I think that that speaks to the company when they want to construct a narrative that says that we aren't unified or that the priorities that we've expressed at the table don't reflect the needs of the pilots. So that solidarity is important, and I expect every pilot who can be to be there. Thanks, Will, and I look forward to seeing everyone out there on the informational picket on April 1st. So I'm looking forward to seeing you there, and I know obviously a lot of you will have to work on that day and want to be involved somehow. We will have other ways for you to be virtually involved in this informational picket, so stand by. We'll be communicating what the details of that is shortly. And again, thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I've been your host, Strategic Communications Chairman David Campbell.